Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship today. I can see, along with you, evidence of faith. I can't see into the heart to see faith exist, but you and I can see the evidence that faith exists through the actions and words people use and say and do. And, and yet, it is possible it's a false positive, meaning somebody can fool me and through their actions seem like they're Christian and they might not be in their heart. And that's where God can see that at the, at the end. But where we see actions that are clearly out of line with the word of God, that's positively false. And we can see evidence then faith really is not there. Our readings really point to this and lead us down this road. We'll see that coming up in the service. This time, let's begin with our opening hymn. Please turn to 680.
Please stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins to the Lord. Holy God, gracious Father, I am sinful by nature, and have sinned against you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved others as I should. I deserve your punishment both now and in eternity forever. But Jesus, my Savior, paid for my sins with his innocent suffering and death. Trusting in him, I pray. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Gracious Father in heaven has been merciful to us. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as the atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Let us pray. Lord God, your word is a lamp for our feet and a light on our path. Cause the light of your word to shine brightly in our hearts by faith that we may know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. First lesson this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 7. It's very likely that these words were written during the golden age of King Josiah, who was restoring Judah back to the word and repairing the temple and making it everything, religion in Judah, back to where it was supposed to be. The problem is, is that there were a number of people who liked these outward changes but they were only superficial. Yes, we've got the good luck charm of the temple back. And they were looking at it all in the wrong way. And so Jeremiah calls them on it. We read, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Continue with the anthem.
second lesson is from Hebrews chapter 10. This serves as a basis for the sermon. I underlined just three parts in here just so you know where the sermon ties in with it. We read, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The word of the Lord. Please stand. this morning is from Luke chapter 6. He also told this parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. The Gospel of the Lord. 
Please be seated for hymn 731. Yeah. 
Two weeks ago, we left a question hanging in the air. What will you do with it? What will you do with this gospel? The incredible love that God has for you and is revealed in Jesus Christ and forgiving the sins of the world and yours included. What will you do with it? Without any force or coercion, without freezing your bank accounts, God leads us today to see exactly what to do with it. You trust it. You trust what he says and... You let it motivate you to put that into practice in your life. Every word he says, it comes from the mouth of the Lord. Every promise he makes, you live in line with it or you hang on it completely. To do anything less would be terrible. Some people look at Jesus' words as nice teachings, but that's only it. And maybe they hear some of them, they grew up with it, and and they do otherwise. Or they use his teachings as an excuse to persist in going their own way and doing whatever they want. To persist in sin. Uh, That's going to turn out terribly. A couple of examples. Um, I, I don't mind talking about Christian giving, Christian generosity, financials in in the Lord and what the Lord has to say about it. And I trust God's people are receptive to this because these are God's words. And so, I love it when people take that to heart and give. But what you give, of course, any amount, that's between you and the Lord. And talking about capital campaign giving, which we've been doing a lot of over the last year, that's really above and beyond giving. If you choose to give, great. If you choose not to give, I trust that's between you and the Lord, and that's your business. But where it crosses into my business is if somebody week after week knows what the Lord says about these things, knows about Christian generosity, knows the gospel and the promises God gives, and they've been receiving wealth from the Lord because the Lord is providing for them through a job. They have an income, and they give zero. Week after week, month after month, year after year. That is persistent sin. And there are some doing that right here. Another example, I love it and I encourage people to come and worship at the house of the Lord. But that's not just because it's my opinion and my preference. That's exactly what the Lord says. And there's a passage we're going to look at coming up. Let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. God encourages us to this. But for sensitivity's sake, and I know I've talked about this over the last number of weeks, if somebody is worshiping with us online and still concerned about health, or various matters for their family, or maybe even they have a particular job where this is still concerning, we get it. And we will work as a congregation, and especially as the ministry here, the pastors and staff minister, to support you and your family in that, and to bring you the Lord's Supper. Where somebody's using this faithfully, we will do all we can to support them in it. But if somebody's using worshiping online as an excuse to not worship at all, to not grow close to the Lord, to go do their own thing and just to make it look like they're still practicing this faithfully, to persist in what they want to do. Again, that's terrible. That is not trusting the gospel. That's not living in line with the gospel. That is doing your own thing. And somebody like that has given up the faith, lost their forgiveness, they've lost eternal life, 
and maybe in line with that, but worst of all, they have made themselves out to be God's enemy. Don't listen to my words. This is exactly what Hebrews says. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, that's after we've received the gospel, after we've trusted it and we know who Jesus is and what he did for us, if we deliberately keep on sinning after that, no sacrifice for sins is left. You've used up Jesus. He has nothing more to give you because you're saying, I've moved on from that. I'm going to do my own thing even though I know what he did for me. No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What will you do with the gospel? That's the whole point for today again. And the answer is we trust it and we want to persist in it. We want to grow in it and we want the gospel to motivate us to serve the Lord in the ways he says. And he gives us three encouragements for how to put that gospel into practice. Three let us statements in today's text. This is what we will do with the gospel and what we want to do because it's in our heart. And the first way it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The gospel moves us to draw near to God. I want to grow close to him. I want to come before him. Let us draw near. Now, keep in mind, the goal of Christianity is that we would go to heaven. And I understand we say that and, and make that point over and over again. That's the goal, but it's not just to go to heaven in abstract. I'm not just going to live in a nice place. It's, I'm going to be in heaven with my Lord. He's going to be right there with me. We're going to see God face to face. It's to live in heaven with the Lord without fear. Complete joy. Us being completely perfect. That's the goal of Christianity. And so if we're going to one day live with God in his eternal home, we want to also live with him and enjoy time with him on earth as a foretaste of what is going to be. Let us draw near, the writer says. Okay, so we're going to come before the Lord. And as you come before the Lord, he is evaluating you. Not your size, not your skin color, not your social status. He's evaluating your sincerity. Let us come before him with a sincere heart. Do you know what a sincere heart is? It's a true one. It's a heart that comes to the Lord that draws near to him and tells him the truth. Well, what's the truth? Lord, even as I walk into this house of worship to meet you again today, I haven't forgotten that I'm a sinner. I haven't forgotten your word and that I've gone astray from it. And I'm going to lay them out before you again. Sometimes generally, sometimes in specific. The sins I know and the sins I don't know. Here they all are. And as I draw near to you, Lord, laying out my sins before you, telling you the truth of who I am and what I've done, I'm not coming alone. I'm coming with the full assurance of faith. Meaning, I'm coming trusting your gospel. 
I'm coming knowing Jesus is walking right beside me, coming into your house right there with me. And what, what does faith in Jesus give? It sprinkles our hearts and lives. It's a neat tie into the Old Testament. We don't have time to go into the full depths of it. But it's basically saying the sacrifice that he made on the cross has sprinkled you by this gospel and set you apart for God. That you belong to him. You're forgiven. Because on that cross, your sin, the ones we're still saying to him and confessing to him, all of your sins became his. And his perfection through faith in Jesus, is credited to you. Your hearts are completely sprinkled. And of course, this didn't just come to you today for the first time. He talks about being washed with water. This isn't just some outward washing that they would do in the Old Testament again. There's so many tie-ins to the Old Testament here, but it's a reference to this. God brought you this gospel and he brought you this forgiveness through baptism. And he made you his. Through faith in Jesus, we come and draw near to the Lord with a clear conscience. Who can say that today? My conscience is completely clear, especially before the Almighty. And I come before the Almighty confident that I belong to him and everything he's done is mine. If you have that kind of confidence, if you have that kind of clear conscience to say that and do that and be that because of Christ, if, if you have that confidence to do that, though, before the Lord Almighty, how much more out in the world? How much more do we have nothing to fear as we go talk about him before the world? And that's his second point. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And then he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Uh, about three years ago, I was uh, doing something in this area, uh, teaching a Bible class, and before the class, uh, somebody came up to me and said, Aaron, I want you to know, I had your dad for confirmation class. I never, I've heard a lot of pastors being taught by my dad, but never at seventh and eighth grade. And he said, it was... Rehearsal for examination. And the whole class was there, the eighth graders, and we were confessing together the Apostles' Creed. And I was saying the Creed like this I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven, and with the rest of the class, just looking down, kind of rocking back and forth. And he said, Your dad called me out. And he said, Mr. So-and-so, we do not confess the Apostles' Creed or any creed looking at the ground as if we are confessing sins and apologizing to God for what we believe in our hearts. No way. When you confess the creed, you lift your head up to the roof of, this, of the church and look at the ceiling because you're looking at God himself in heaven and you are telling God what you believe in your heart. And we're not sorry for what we believe. And he said, Aaron, to this day, I still, when I confess the creeds, I look up to the top of church and I tell God what I, what I have in my heart. Isn't that what we do when we go out in the world? Even if we're looking somebody straight in the eyes and we're telling them about the Bible or we're explaining something to them, even when you're looking somebody straight in the face, in your heart, you're looking up to God and you're saying, God, I'm telling this person this because this is what I really believe about you. 
I am holding unswervingly to these teachings. Except that's not what the writer said. He said, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. He didn't say to the teachings we profess. He certainly knows that when we talk to other people in the world, that we're telling them teachings. We're telling them about the Bible and what God has said and done. But do you understand when we share these teachings, they're not just memorized things. This is our hope. When we share these things, we're looking at the goal of all of these teachings. I know that these teachings God has given that I'm sharing with you, that God is going to lead me to heaven by these teachings. And I have hope that's exactly where I'm going, which is why I'm so confident to share them with you and I'm not ashamed of this. We know exactly where this goes. And so we don't give up. It's easy to say. It it, it actually is easy for some to tire, some to maybe give up, some to wear down. Year after year, honestly, what you hear in the news and the things going on in the world, it is wearisome. And I think a lot of people, through what's going on, they misprioritize things. They let other things creep in and maybe overshadow the gospel, and they might not even realize it. And it's easy then over time to grow so distant from what God has given us. Let me give you a for instance again. Um, I love following up on people who haven't been in church for a while. Uh, somebody who hadn't been in church for years, years and years, I finally was able to get a hold of them. Talked on the phone. And the person just said rather frankly, Pastor, why on earth are you calling me? Why, are you trying to kick us out of the church? I said, no, that has nothing. I want you actually to come back. And they said, well, don't you want to grow the church? I mean, if you get rid of us, then, then we won't be on, on your list. I, j- I just couldn't believe it. You know, the, the list of the members of our congregation is not what makes our church strong. What makes our church strong is the gospel and what God has done for us and that however many people are here is that you're confident in it and you know exactly what Christ has done for you and you know exactly where you're going. That's what makes us a wonderful church. God's people confident in the word. Not just that they're on a list. That's exactly like our first lesson. Oh, there's the temple. There's the temple. There's the temple. We just, I'm just on a list that has the temple right. That's not what saves you being on the list of membership here. No, instead, we gather here because we want to grow in the word. We gather here because we know God's promises are true and he's going to fulfill them at the end. But there's actually another reason that I really want to hold before you today. One of the main reasons why we gather is not just to grow in the word. Listen to this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You and I have an additional role as God's people. We come here to hear the word, but you and I come here for each other. Do you understand that? Pastor Bodie had a great sermon last week about the purpose of 
the Lord's Supper and that God forgives our sins. And that's fantastic. He was right on. It was a great sermon. But do you understand when you come here, you're also saying, Lord, I don't just have sins against you. I have sins against my brothers and sisters. And when I come to church, I want them to know that I'm sorry for my sins against them too. And where they've sinned against me, I forgive them too. You come here for each other, to encourage one another, to build one another up, which means certainly I have a sermon on Sunday morning, generally speaking, and it's to encourage and build up the people of God. But this isn't the only one. As you greet one another, as you get to know one another, as you talk in the narthex, as you exchange pleasantries, and as you go to Bible class, God willing, and as you talk even further, The sermons get even more specific about your specific needs, about how your weeks have been, about what you're struggling with in particular. And you exchange God's word with each other and help each other to grow all the more. The Greek word for spur one another on here means to stimulate. It's a very pointed word. We are to stimulate one another to this, which means... If somebody doesn't come to church regularly, not only are they sinning against God and they're missing out on the growth and the love that he has for them in the gospel, but you are abandoning your brothers and sisters because you're not here to encourage them. You're not here to stimulate them. You're not here to help them grow in love and good deeds. I mean, on my own, on our own, there's no way we could even attempt a building project like this. But when you put God's people together, look at what we're trying to do to stimulate one another, to love and good deeds, to do things together in Christ that we would never be able to do on our own. When we come here then, it's to forgive each other. When we come here, it's to grow in the word together. When we come here, it's to renew our commitment to serve Christ and to serve one another in love. And the neat verb that he uses is not, look, you guys, I want you to believe this in your heart. He says, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider. Let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. To consider something means it's up here. I want you to think about this over and over again. I want you to ponder this on your weeks. How can you push each other further in love, in Christ, Serving Christ and furthering his love in in the church and in the community. Consider that over and over again. Why? Because the day's coming. That great day where it all ends. And we all want to stand together because of this gospel and be ready for Jesus when he does. Well, we've heard the gospel. We know his forgiveness. It's ours for free in Jesus. We know where we're headed. Let's put it into practice. With faith, drawing near to God. With hope, professing exactly what we know in our hearts that God has taught us. And with love, as we continue to spur each other on for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please stand. Join together in confessing our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for all your mercies, especially for the gift of your Son, through whom you've revealed your gracious will. We praise you for the Holy Spirit and his working through the means of grace. Strengthen and defend your church, that by your word and sacraments, faith may grow in love toward all may increase. Support all who spread the light of your truth throughout the world. Keep our children in the grace of their baptisms. Enable their parents to train them in lives of faith. Preserve our nation in justice and honor. Guide and bless all who make, administer, and judge our laws. Let your blessing rest on planting and harvest, commerce and industry, medicine and science, the arts and culture. Protect all who travel and care for those whose work is difficult or dangerous. Comfort all who are in sorrow or need, sickness or adversity. Specifically, Lord, I don't know if war in the Ukraine will transpire or not, but I know the last time war took place there, your people and your church suffered terribly. Lord, please help them. Diffuse these tensions and so many others right now around the world. And if you do permit your people there to suffer, help them to hold unswervingly to you as they continue to profess their hope. Remember those who suffer persecution for the faith. Have mercy on those for whom death draws near. Hear us, Lord, as we pray now in silence. thanksgiving, those who have loved and served you, who now rest from their labor, console those who are mourning or living with sadness. Grant us these things, Father, for the sake of Jesus, who died and rose again. Amen. Please be seated. 